Uh, we, this has been the summer of faith. And not just faith, but faith, faith versus the sovereignty of God. Meaning the discussion of is human faith necessary for things to happen in our lives or is it all up to God's sovereign will? And I say that the two need to blend together. When we agree with God's will, mighty miracles happen in our lives. But that opens the door for what is God's will. So we have to cover all the Bible evidence of God's good will toward people. God's good will toward people is an absolute that you and I have to be assured of. If not, you'll always waver in every prayer. We must understand God's goodwill toward us, that he never wants evil to happen to us, ever. He's never planned it. He's never wanted it. He's never authorized it. And so you have to erase that out of your doctrine. But to do so, you have to use scripture. We can't do like the ones that created that false doctrine and just dream up opinions well, God loves me, so I know nothing's ever going to bad going to happen to me. Well, you can't say it like that unless you can find a scripture, but you can't say it like that. You have to find all the conditions that allow God entrance into our life, all the conditional promises that they require a human element. And then if you'll fulfill the human element, wow, you can have the blessing of God. So it's not your faith really that does miracles. It's your faith that opens the door for God to do miracles. We know that if someone is healed, it's the power of God that healed them. Or we could say it's the Holy Ghost that healed them. Or we could say it's God that came in and touched them, right? So we know he's the doer of the deed. It's the Father in us that does the work. But it's faith that opens the door for him to. Simple as that. Even though Jesus said, your faith has made you well. He said it several times. Your faith made you well. He wasn't saying that there's this extra thing called faith that did something. No, we know it was the virtue of God that came out. It was the power of God that delivered. It was Jesus himself. It was God himself that did the miracle. But faith is necessary to open the door for that. And faith is not general. It's not arbitrary. It's not something that just flies and lights upon us in moments. No, faith is very specific based on knowing God's will and acting on God's will. If we can believe it, if we can act on it, that will settle it, and then God can do miracles, okay? So it's faith toward God that allows him to do mighty things in the earth. He's always looking for a human to learn, to believe, and to act so that he, or to call on him so that he can answer. Without that, he just can't do much. He wants to, he just can't until somebody trusts him. Good work. In your house, in your household, somebody needs to trust him. If you can't trust him, you, you tell your spouse to trust him. Amen. Just admit it. Say, I, I have a lot of doubt. I need you to, I need you to pull us through on this one. Because if somebody in the house can pull us through, I mean, if you, can't, if you and your spouse can't do it, get your kids to do it. Kids, I, we need y'all to trust God because we can't. We're just big dumbos full of doubt. We need you to trust God. Because if somebody can't trust God, God can't get in there and solve the, the crisis. So that's the framework for what we're doing. But to, to, in order to have security and confidence in that doctrine and this understanding, we have to answer the tough questions. We have to decipher the tough scriptures. We have to put the pieces of the puzzle together so you can see God clearly. You know how when you start a jigsaw puzzle, it's like, you know... It's a good thing you have the box or you'd never finish it. Right. Well, you might, but it'd be more difficult. But so at first it's like, man, it doesn't take shape yet. You have to put all the pieces together and then all of a sudden it starts coming clear. Oh, and then boom, now, now I see it clearly. You need to see God clearly. So that everything you learn about him puts the piece in, in place so that you begin to understand his nature, his character, his will, why he does things, when he does things, when he doesn't. What's he's, what he expecting, what's he said, what does he need from us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, wow, and, and example after example after example after example. And so you got to get all these pieces twisted properly. You got to rotate. You got to understand some of these scriptures. So we're going to cover uh, some things tonight. We'll, we'll call it uh, kicking over some of the sacred cows. They're, they're, Christians are notorious for sacred cows. 
What does that mean? That means stuff that people just almost worship. False doctrine that people almost just worship. Like that's their belief system. Well, mom and dad said that it was this way. So I just say it too. So we'll get to that in a minute. But I wanted to read this story in John 5. Just to launch us with some faith here. Now, this, this uh, passage is actually uh, probably the only miracle that Jesus performed uh, without somebody's faith. Because some people say, well, if God wants to do a miracle, he'll do a miracle. Well, no, 99% of the time, he's, he needs somebody to believe him. And you'll see an element of faith in here because somebody obeyed what he said. It takes faith to obey the instruction of Jesus or the instruction of God to get the miracle. But he approaches based on just almost God's sovereignty, God's good goodness and mercy just jumps. You know, he'll, he'll do that to you. He'll be merciful to you even when you don't deserve it, right? right? He'll approach people and do some good things for people even if these conditions don't seem to, but you can't wait on that. No. There's been too many Christians who died waiting on God. Well, if he wants to heal me, he'll heal me. That, well, that's like the, remember the pool of Bethesda? In case you didn't, it's right here. John 5, verse 1. Now, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. That looks like this is just kind of a sovereign thing that God sent an angel. You see very little healing like this in the Old Testament or before Jesus. And so this is just one of those things you can't really explain or understand. And you can't be looking around in swimming pools all over Houston to find, a, hopefully the angel will come stir this one. No, this, there's only script, one scripture like this, so you can't make a doctrine out of it. Verse 5, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, wilt thou be made whole? Now that's in the King James. How many of you have the King James? It says that, right? Wilt thou be made whole? Uh, but in the New King James it says, do you want to be made whole? That's the way you say, will you is, is do you want to? Same thing. I kind of like the wilt thou. Will you be healed? It's a good question. It's a challenging question. Will you be healed? Will you be healed? And for us who, who understand some things, we, we should be able to say, okay, yes, I know I will. How do you know? Because you know enough about God. Because you know enough about the Bible. Because you believe God. And yeah, I know I will. I know I will. And then you can say it with your lips, but you have to feel it in your heart. So do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. So here he's not really expecting much. Do you want to be made whole? He didn't say yes. Will you be made well? He didn't say yes. He started complaining. He started giving the, the excuse, didn't he? Well, you know, you could not even, you could just, you could not even have a detail and you'd know what he's saying. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Then they got mad at him, you know, for the Sabbath. So the question for us is, number one, do you want to be healed? Or we could say, will you be made whole? Or we could say, will you get your answer to prayer? Will you get the miracle from God? Yes. Do you want your miracle from God? Yes. Then get up. Amen. Woo! Yes. All right. Okay. Now stop fussing about it. Now go home. I mean, wait, no, don't go home. <laughs> Sit back down. Do you want your miracle? 
All right, get up and go home. Settle it. Be done with it. Go home. Stop your praying. Stop your fussing. Stop your whining. Stop your believing. Well, you know, I'm believing God. I'm believing God for forever and ever and ever. Why don't you get up and settle it? So will you, do you want to, then get up, decide it, and go home. Go do what you got to do then. Get your miracle from God and then go. Hit your knees in the prayer closet, ask, believe, receive, and then get up and go. Or maybe ask, believe, receive, and then, and then wait for the Holy Spirit to give you your instruction. Make the phone call. Boom. Go ahead and make plans for it. Boom. Go ahead and get out your wheelchair. Boom. Get out of my wheelchair. Yeah, don't question it. Just get up. Make the leap from can't to, to, to absolutely can. All things are, go from the impossible to the possible. Go from, you know, there's this, this element of faith that you got to take the limits off, right? Joni preached just a while back that you got to take the limit off it. God is unlimited if you can just believe. So when he says, when he says something to your spirit, jump up and go. When, it, when you see it, jump off the page into your spirit, go for it. Believe, okay, that's it. I will not suffer with sickness anymore. This is how faith looks. It has to get up and go. You have to settle it. You have to be done with it. You know, we've said many times that everybody who came to Jesus got healed. Well, this man didn't come to Jesus. Jesus went to him. And so all the people at the pool of Bethesda stayed sick except for this one. Because they had come to the pool instead of coming to Jesus. And we don't know if any angel ever showed up at this time. Just leave that be. The truth is, if you want to be healed, you go to Jesus. Don't sit around waiting for... Nobody else sat at their house waiting for Jesus to come. You're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to listen to him. You're going to have to obey whatever he says to you. Okay? And don't make it far-fetched. People have tried to come up with all sorts of things and heard all sorts of weirdness about what God wanted them to do. You know, 15 cartwheels and stuff like that. It's like, don't do that. Don't get loopy on it. Learn how to hear with your spirit and do things that are reasonable to your spirit, man. Uh, don't just dream up the most, you know, fanatical thing you can possibly do. <clears throat> Go to John 11. Let's kick over this sacred cow here. It's, it's, these things have stopped a lot of people from getting healed by God. And, and we, we talk about healing because uh, it's very present in everybody's life. Uh, everybody that believes in God ha will, either has prayed to be healed or will pray at some point in your life for God to heal you. So you need to get it right. Because if you don't start getting healing right, it'll, it'll just disturb you about God's closeness, God's love, God's blessing, every other promise God's forgiveness. And so we need to get healing, right? And that's why we talk about it quite a bit, right? It's not just because we're bored and need something to talk about. It's because a lot of people deal with sickness and disease or pain, even if it's little. And we need to have some confidence toward God. You need to learn how to get a miracle from God. And then if you're going to pray for somebody, you need to know enough to get them well. And so we do have to learn because it is one of those uh, very glaring uh, needs that, that children have from God, right? And, it, and, and therefore, your heavenly father knows you need healing even before you ask him. And then he calls healing the children's bread. Healing and deliverance is the children's bread. It's your portion. So get up to the table and learn how to get your portion. Don't let any, anybody stop you from getting your portion of food. We know that you have never let somebody else get your portion of food. <laughs> Even kids, they will fight to get their portion of food. They will argue over the biggest slice. Do that with the spiritual promise of healing. You can have healing in your body. Don't let anybody else get your portion. The Jews could have got all their portion, and instead the Gentiles got all of it. The Gentiles were waiting around the, the table for the crumbs. 
Don't let anything stop you from getting what's yours because Jesus paid for you. Himself took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses on the cross so you can be healed. So that's it. Just settle that. Don't let anything stop you from getting well. You can all be well by tomorrow morning. You can. You can all be well by tomorrow morning. You just got to settle it and get up and go home. Faith is one of those things that you just flip the switch and it just changes you and then all of a sudden the miracle comes and uh, you just live life like that. And really what that does is it turns you toward God. All, all, the, all the miracles that happen in your life are supposed to turn you straight to God. You're supposed to follow Jesus. As soon as you get healed, that, I'm following Jesus. I'm not getting healed just so I can continue with the world. You, you get touched by God, it's like, whoa. It, it causes you to change. It, it calls you to change. You're supposed to then repent. So these things are necessary. <clears throat> okay, so this is John 11. This is Lazarus. <clears throat> uh, Lazarus was stinketh. He was stinking, but now he's not stinking. That's the bottom line. But uh, let's read this here. John 11, verse 3. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. <clears throat> when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. <laughs> now, here's the sacred cow. <laughs> the sacred cow is... Uh, my sickness is to glorify God. And they stop right there. They don't read the whole story. Just forget the whole rest of the story. The sickness is to glorify God. There's been a lot of Christians with that testimony. Well, I'm not sure how I'm going to glorify God in this sickness, but this is what it's for. It's for God's glory. Sickness is never for God's glory. It's never for God's glory. Sickness is never for God's glory. That's not what Jesus just said. Sickness is not for, for God's glory. Sickness does not glorify God ever. Sickness is never God's motivator to get some glory. <clears throat> now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, notice he said the sickness is not unto death. Notice that? But it was for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And they said, Rabbi, uh, well, skip that just a bit. Skip down to verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that, he may, that I may wake him up. Well, he already said he wasn't dead, so Jesus is not going to say that he was dead. He was just sleeping. Jesus already said he's not going to die. This sickness is not going to kill him. He's just sleeping. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And so Jesus had to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So you have to understand that Jesus has, has a purpose in the way he talks. The, sick, the first thing he said is very important. The first thing you say has to be very important. The first thing at any kind of calamity or bad news, you, the first thing you say is very, very, very important. Regardless of what happens in between, what, you, what comes out of your mouth, first five seconds matters. Okay? A faith person will say the right thing. Sure is quiet in here. What you say out of your mouth, the very first thing, is extremely important in the end. It determines, let's say this, it determines the end. What you say in the beginning determines the end. And you'll find that it almost doesn't even matter all in between. You just say it in the beginning and you head that direction and the end will come proper. Verse 15, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
Sounds just like some Christians. Says the goofiest stuff at the goofiest time, trying to be spiritual. Don't, don't do that. You know, when we first started the church, <laughs> I had this thing about flaky Christians. I use that. This is not going to be a flaky church. So if you have any flakiness in you, in a year you will not. Somebody on your row will knock this, this flakiness out of you. I mean, we want, we're, we're so desperate, it's almost so desperate for the supernatural that we'll take the sensational flakiness. Like I said, Sonny, you know, Christians living in fantasy, they'd rather live in fantasy world than reality because reality is a little tougher, has a little bit more responsibility. But so many believers would just rather live in fantasy prophecy world of stuff that's never coming to pass, but it sounds cool, than to, to live in reality and just stick with the basics. Or excuse me, stick with the Bible. I mean, we'd rather watch a, uh, a fantasy movie than, that's, my, I, I, that's how I usually respond. It's, if, if you're into all that, that superstitious religious stuff, then just go, just go watch a, a sci-fi movie. Like Brother Hagin used to say, just sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, it'll do as much good as what you're doing. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb now four days. And so Bethany was near Jerusalem. Uh, skip down to verse 20. Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. People have accused Jesus and God for centuries, right? Something went wrong. It's your fault. Should have done something. Verse 22, but even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mar Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That's true now and later. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, I believe you're the Christ, the son of God who's come into the world. And when she had said these things, he went to her and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher's come and, and is calling for you. <clears throat> Skip down to verse uh, 30, 32. Uh, now Mary said the same thing. She fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus, when he saw her weeping and the Jews that came, her, came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Some people say he was just sad. Well, he, he, why would he be sad if he knows Lazarus is about to rise up? He'd be excited. Uh, most likely, the, the Jesus wept part is not he was just sad. It was that he was groaning in the spirit, like it said, and, and weeping in the spirit. More, more of intercession, more of I'm connecting with God. Uh, I see the sorrow of the people, and it's moving me. Uh, because a miracle is necessary, and so I'm connecting with the Holy Ghost. And, and you and I have, many of us have been in that same place where you groan, you weep, you don't know what's happening, but you're connecting to God, and then you, you actually tap into power if you can get into that type of compassion and intercession. So this is more God's compassion causing him to weep than just emotional sadness. The only other option is that he was just so sad that Martha and Mary had no faith. <laughs> But more than uh, likely, it's that he was uh, groaning in the spirit and, and weeping in the spirit. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Well, their conclusion was wrong, just like many other times. Even though he did love him, that's not why he was crying. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, groaning in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay, and he said, take away the, the stone. Martha, the sister of him, was dead, said, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. So, you know, you're too late. You can't do a miracle if somebody's dead. Um, <clears throat> verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if that, you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Okay, so at this point, they still hadn't seen the glory of God. 
Got it? So if the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, it wasn't the sickness nor the death that glorified God. Okay, so let's put to rest that sacred cow that says somehow this is glorifying God. There is only one way that a sickness or a death can glorify God. And it's in verse 43. Lazarus come forth and he raised from the dead. But let's read the rest of the story. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. Okay, now, what you, what you see here is uh, he's saying, Father, I... Thanks for hearing me, and I know you always hear me. Well, where, when did he pray in this whole passage? When did he pray? Because he never prayed. Even when he raised Lazarus, he didn't say, oh, God, raise Lazarus from the dead. We call upon thee, oh, God. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. So when was the praying? Well, it was internal. It was in the groaning. It was in the weeping. It was in the process. It was in him being led by the Holy Spirit. It was him waiting for two days. It was in the words that he said by unction of the Holy Spirit. All of that con uh, uh, consists, that's what praying consists of. All of those things is, is how we're led by God and connecting with God. You'll, and we teach this in our healing school, how to heal the sick, how to get miracles to happen for other people. Uh, and it's the same thing you see in Acts 9 when Peter was called in to raise Dorcas, <clears throat> Tabitha. And it said, and, and he came in, she was dead. Uh, they called uh, Peter because they had faith that he could do something. And it says he knelt down and prayed. Didn't say what he prayed. Might have prayed out loud, might have been silent. And then he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. Right? So there's a connecting to God. In, in, in all sorts of healing ministry, there's a connecting to God between the person who's about to do the ministering. Connect to God and then execute. The whole thing is not executing. It's connect to God, then you say the sentence. And that's why I always try to help people. Don't, don't plan on saying 55 sentences to execute. Say your 55 sentences to yourself at home. Or internally as you're approaching or about to pray. Or pause for 15 seconds. Pause for 30. Pause for 60 seconds before you lay hands on somebody. Connect to the Holy Spirit. Talk to God. I thank you, Lord, that you always hear me. Ah, you're going to hear me now, aren't you? Am I ready? We ready to go? So we teach this in our healing school. But you do see the, the examples that Jesus set for us. But these, these are real answers rather than just surface opinions. Like real Bible answers rather than just, well, you know, whatever happens, happens for a reason. Like no, nobody knows the will of God. If he wants, it will. If it not, it won't. <clears throat> so the good news is Lazarus was raised from the dead and then the, the uh, whole city came out and got saved uh, because the glory of God was seen. When did the glory of God happen? After the healing. After the miracle of being raised from the dead, God got lots of glory. So if you think that somehow your sickness is going to glorify God, make sure you get supernaturally healed. Like a real miracle. Like if you have a terminal disease, you better expect to get raised from the dead. No. If you want the glory of God to happen because of a sickness, make sure you get a real miracle that's notably God. If not, then just endure through and do the best you can. And at the end, you can glorify God with your mouth, but don't say the sickness did it. All the sickness did was uh, dampen your life. Okay? Now, there's only one other way that a that a death could glorify God, and it's if you're martyred. And you'll see that scripture signifying what death he would glorify God in. As a, as a Christian, you may get persecuted or martyred. That would glorify God as well. 
But normal sickness and disease from the devil never glorifies God. So um, we don't have to listen to these people that say this anymore, right? Sickness never glorifies God. Laid up in the hospital, I'm just glorifying God. No, no, not yet. Not yet. But I'm witnessing. Okay, good. We'll give you credit for the witnessing. But don't try to give God credit for the sickness. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Make sense? Yes. It does make sense. Yes. <clears throat> let's, let's hit a couple small ones. Uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just a couple small ones that as you read the Bible, you'll come across these, and it's caused people to think they had a bullet to shoot us down with, like God, God doesn't heal everybody. I know he doesn't heal everybody. Well, certainly not. He certainly doesn't heal everybody because not everybody gets to him in faith. But it's not because he doesn't want to. It's not because he doesn't plan to. And it's not because he hadn't promised to. It's because of us. So people have tried to find all sorts of little scriptures to, to hide behind. Sacred cows to hide behind. And, you know, I, I'm just the opposite. If I found one scripture about being healed, I'd stand on that one. If there was a hundred scriptures about getting sick, I'd find the one that wasn't. Let's have some real hope. Let's be believers, trusters, seekers of God, not, not doubters and hiders and complainers and murmurs. And... But here's one. Uh, Verse 19, this is the end of Paul's letter to Timothy. He says, Greet Prisca and Achilla and the household of Onesiphorus. Uh, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I've left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulius greets you as well as these other fellows. All right. People have said, See, 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 Paul, Paul left Troph Trophimus sick in Miletus. See, see, see. What does this prove? It proves that Christians get, get sick. I don't need any proof for that. Christians get sick. All it proves is that Christians get sick. And, and it's, it's, it's difficult to get them all healed every time. I didn't hear any amens on that. Listen, I'm not preaching in some fluffy cloud world. It's difficult to get some Christians well for myriads of reasons. And some of them, most of them have to do with the internal consciousness of a person, whether the minister, uh, the believer who's praying, or the sick person. There's just stuff in us that we have to sort out. There's, there's lack of faith here and there. There's guilty conscience stuff. There's uncertainties. There's disappointments. There's doubts. There's, there's bad doctrine. There's all sorts of stuff inside people. And that's why we're trying to pluck those seeds out of us. Excuse me, pluck those weeds out of us. So the teaching is supposed to help defi uh, uh, define a, a problem and pluck that out. That is ruining my garden. That has been hindering me. Every time I go to pray, I think about this one scripture, these two scriptures. And, and so I've been thinking about Trophimus for 15 years. Every time I go to pray, Trophimus was sick. I might as well be. Just weird little foxes that spoil the vine. And so we just got to learn. This doesn't really prove anything. Is that it proves that not everybody can get everybody healed every time. Did Paul pray for, for Trophimus? How would you know? You have no idea if Paul prayed. Did Trophimus ask Paul to pray? You have no idea. Did Trophimus ask God to be healed? You have no idea. You have no idea. I remember a story from Jack Coe, who was one of the healing evangelists back in the 30s, 40s, I mean 40s and 50s, and he said uh, he's with this preacher of his who had, a, I think it was a back problem, and they were traveling throughout the day to go pray for somebody or go do some errands before night meetings, you know, the big night meeting, tent crusade, whatever. So he's with this pastor, and they're driving around, and the pastor's had this, this back pain all day. He's been complaining about it all day, and... Uh, at the end of the trip, you know, they're, you know, they've been together all day, four, five, six, eight hours. I don't know. And at the end of the day, the pastor said, you know, I'm a little offended that you didn't pray for me today. 
And Jack Coe said, you never asked me to. He said, well, I'm asking now. Jack prayed for him and he was healed. You have not because you asked not. Don't get offended because somebody didn't offer prayer. You didn't ask. We, we sit around expecting people are supposed to offer everything. No, sometimes you need to ask, especially when it comes to something like this. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 25. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi. He said, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my soul, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. You know how it is. If somebody knows you're sick, it, it, you know, you get distressed about it. It's like people all over worried about you, wondering about you. And this is before they could just, you know, send a text. Verse 27, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. Another, another preacher getting sick. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You look, even Christian preachers, even faith preachers, even spirit-filled preachers have to fight the fight of faith to get well, stay well. Christians, even those who know the truth, you have to fight to get well and stay well. But God had mercy on him. But then you, then you get to find out what made him sick rather than just say, see, see, see. Verse 28, therefore, I sent him the more eagerly uh, that when you see him again, you may rejoice and, and, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ... He came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. That was a little punch there. You see what that is? He's saying Epaphroditus had to travel to come bring supplies to me, everything that you were lacking. Everything you didn't send, he had to bring it to me. We don't know the details. I'm just kind of surmising there. But notice he was sick because he wasn't regarding his health, which is a reason why many people are sick. Overworking, overstressed, whatever the case may be, that's why he was having some problem, but God had mercy on him. You can expect God's mercy on you. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Uh, let's go kick this one over pretty quickly. Uh, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and, and many of you probably have seen this uh, by now. But when I was my first, you know, maybe seven, eight years in the Lord, I'm learning all these wonderful things about faith and, and power and... and uh, Excited about the things of God. And every time I read this story, every time I read this story here, I would stumble. Every time I read this story, I'd have to ignore it. Every time I read this story, I'd have to go, oh my gosh. That just kind of messes up everything that I've been, I, you know, you, it, it, everything looks pretty structured and concrete in doctrine and truth. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build a, a real solid foundation, aren't you? I'm trying to make sure that we don't have any cracks in this foundation. I don't want to be lopsided in 10 years. So that's my, my, my job has always been to make sure that we're standing on something secure. And this one always bothered me. It's like, golly, it seems like there's a crack in my foundation. And then finally, I had a, a preacher friend uh, with, who's with ICFM. He came and preached at our church and he preached this message. I'm like, golly, you dodo. You didn't see it right. So this whole story is about Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their real Hebrew names were My Shack, Your Shack, and a Bungalow. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to his God, you know, after his God. It's just ridiculous. So we know them as the wrong names, but in any case, uh, <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar had already uh, exalted Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a place of honor because of Daniel's in dream interpretation. But here, chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and it's with 60 cubits, uh, 6 cubits. <clears throat> a cubit is 18 inches, in case you care. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Um, and if you want to argue about the, the height of a cubit, see somebody else. Okay, I'll give it a 16 inch, uh, eight, some, somewhere in there. I don't care. Okay, but then here's what he did. He, said, he, he creates this golden image, and he commands everybody uh, to worship it. Verse 3, so the satraps, the administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, the magistrates, all the officials of the province gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image he set up. And the, the, then a herald cry aloud, to, to you it's commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. <clears throat> so at that time, when all the people heard the, the horn and, and all the music and stuff, uh, they, they were to bow and they worshiped the gold image. And then verse eight, therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews and they spoke and they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. O king, you've made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. Whoever does not fall down, basically they're reminding him what he said. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard you. They do not serve your gods nor worship the gold image which you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O, o Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. Like, we don't, we don't have to say anything, but I'll go ahead and say something. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, then let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his faith changed and he told him to heat the furnace seven times more and he threw them in and you, you recall verse 25 and then look, somebody said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. There's the angel of the Lord in there. <clears throat> and then Nebuchadnezzar in, uh, went near the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. And then they came out from the midst of the fire. And skip to part B of 27. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments afflicted, and the smell of fire was not on them. And he said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he gave them an honorable place in the province. Okay. So it looks like in their conversation that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, I mean, at first glance, and it, it you know, I probably read this 20 times, and it looks like what they're saying is, our God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're not going to serve you. It just looks like that. But that's not how this is written. And it just takes a, a little hesitation. Look what he says. Verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar says, if you bow and worship, good, but if you do not worship, you'll be cast immediately. And then verse 17, and they say, if that's the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Meaning, if you throw us in, he's able to deliver us. 
Verse 18, but if not, if you don't throw us in, let it be known to you that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you've set up. See the difference? On one, it looks like they're questioning, well, maybe God won't deliver us, but we're still not going to bow. But the reality is all they're saying is, hey, if you throw us in, he'll deliver us. And if you don't throw us in, let it be known. We're not bowing. So instead of having a plan B for your faith project, it's really just plan A. But that's what I never liked about it is that it looked like they had a plan A and a plan B. Well, I'm going to trust God, but if he doesn't do it, then I'll... And so I've always tried to help Christians don't do that. If you really want God to answer, you don't, don't, go, don't go planning your B and C and D efforts. It'll mess up your plan A effort. Of course there's another option. Let, let's try to ignore that option as long as possible. Or let's just go for A all the way. A? You following? Because faith does not waver. You have to apply other scripture into your doctrine. Make sure that you're secure. So faith doesn't have I'm going to believe God, and if he doesn't answer, then I'm going to do this. And, then, and if that doesn't work, then I'm going to try God and this. This is where people fail in their faith project. It could be just believing God for a vehicle. Well, God, I really want a, a good vehicle, but if, if you can't give me a good one, I'll, I'll take a, a not-so-good one, as long as it has air conditioning. Okay, now you got an A and you got a B. And now you're double-minded and a double-minded man gets nothing from God. Now you can get it from the dealership. You can do human effort and get plan B, C, D, E, F. But if you want, do, if you want to do it God's way, you got to connect with God in the spirit. You got to find a scripture. You got to stand strong. You got to believe. Don't waver. Plan A is coming to pass. That's the only plan coming to pass for me. My God will deliver me. And so that's the beauty of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got thrown into a pretty hot fire, and God came and delivered them. Why did he do it? Because he loved them? Not really. Because they were determined. They had a faith that was unwavering. God will show up in your fire if your faith is unwavering. And that's what we're trying to persuade all the body of Christ in, is that this life with God can be exciting and the impossibilities can become possible if, 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 if you don't waver. If you can stand firm. If you can trust him all the way. Amen. It shall come to pass. Amen. So whatever you're facing, go all the way with God. Go all the way with God. Decide. See, these are better answers than what we've lived with for a long time. This may not be much of a, a sacred cow except for people who live with that whole, well, I'm going to pray, but if, well, you just ruin the prayer. Start over. Okay, God, in Jesus' name, I trust you. And if you can't, uh, start over. Like how many times do you need to start over in your prayer? God, I... I from this day forward, good. That's what we're looking for. From this day forward, you're not budging. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You want to do one more? Okay. We'll try to do this one fairly uh, uh, briefly. Now, we've got a whole book on this, and it's also uh, found in the God Why book. Okay, because Job is a huge sacred cow that has stopped uh, lots of people because it's in the Bible, it's 42 chapters of a man named Job, not Job. <laughs> I wish there was a, a book of the Bible called Job, but it's Job. And it's thrown people off because of, of a couple reasons. Um, let me just set this up as fast as I can. And, and one of the reasons we don't like Job too much. Now, now, people have used it to glory in their suffering. Well, I guess I'm just suffering like poor old Job. 
Uh, and, and, and I've tried to turn us, you cannot compare yourself to Job because Job had nothing that you have. He had no Jesus. Don't you, don't you have Jesus? You have Jesus? You have Jesus? Okay, you got everything, he had nothing. So when you read Job, remember he's in the Old Testament. And uh, rather than just a suffering human, he was actually an example of what humanity is like without a Savior. He's simply the example. 42 chapters, God wanted to show us how uh, dreadful life was without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, without the power of God, without the name of Jesus, without a covenant, without any promises from God, without any knowledge of God, without an old covenant, without a new covenant, without a Bible, without any Christian family, without any uh, uh, prayer of faith, without any name of Jesus, without any knowledge of God whatsoever. Job had nothing and we have everything. How dare you compare yourself to Job when actually you have the Holy Spirit that he was crying out for. He wanted a redeemer. You have one. He wanted his sins forgiven. Yours are. He wanted someone between him and God to explain things. You have him. He had nothing. You have everything. And so in essence, don't, don't compare yourself to Job that way unless it's simply in the area of uprightness, righteousness, and endurance or patience. He was commended for his patience and his righteousness because he hung in there and he trusted God and he got delivered in the end. Okay? So he does have some merit, but he did not have a covenant. So that's what you have to remember as you get into it. But then we also don't like Job because we find out, and it's, we don't like the idea that demons and Satan have access to God's throne. How many of you like that fact? Don't you recall that the accuser of our brethren will be cast down, Revelation, He'll be cast down later, but right now he has access to accuse us to the Father. I don't like that. Satan has access to talk to God. We don't like that, do we? He's accusing us day and night. The good news is we have Jesus as our advocate, as our mediator, as our attorney, who says, hush up, hush up, hush up, hush up. He is the one who stops the accusation from harming us. Now, Job didn't have a mediator. He didn't have his advocate, okay? We have an advocate, so all the accusation that Satan gives to God concerning you and I, I'm exempt from that. If I just stay close to the Lord... Believe in the power of his blood. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. All my sins are forgiven. And Jesus stiff arms the devil every time he accuses. So God takes care of us because Jesus vouches for us. But you have to have faith in that. You have to understand the power of the cross. That the, the uh, finished work of the cross includes my salvation, my deliverance, my redemption, my healing, all of that. Make sense? But we don't really like the fact that the demons get access in heaven. And we really don't like the fact that the devil gets to roam about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay, so we, we know that from the New Testament that your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Job didn't know that scripture because it wasn't written yet. He didn't know he could resist the devil. He certainly didn't have the name of Jesus to command the devil to leave his life alone. He didn't have the power of God to raise his family from the dead after they were killed. He didn't have faith in the name to get healed from all the trouble. Make sense? But I wanted to show you this one thing at least. Um, <clears throat> Verse six, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. 
And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shun, uh, shuns evil? And Satan says, does, does, God fear, does Job fear God for nothing? And then Satan says, have you not made a hedge about him and his household and all, uh, around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, possessions have increased, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Well, God didn't do that. God didn't stretch out his hand and harm Job, but he did allow Satan to, just like he allows Satan to ruin so many lives. He just by default has to allow the devil to roam and devour. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only don't lay a hand on his person. So Satan will not from the presence of the Lord. Okay. So then it happens again and he does allow him to touch his body. Uh, but I want you to see this in verse seven. Notice it says, or, or verse eight, it looks like God's playing a little game. And this is what's bothered so many Christians that didn't interpret this properly. It looks like God is, is pointing Job out to the devil. Have you considered Job? Because that's how we speak in this language, right? When I say, have you considered, I'm pointing something out to you uh, to get your attention. But in the literal Hebrew, and if you go look in the literal Hebrew interlinear Bible, you'll see it exactly like this. If you go talk to a Jew and have them read it in the Hebrew, they will, accept, they will say it exactly proper. And that word, that phrase, have you considered, should not be translated that way. Have you considered is actually two words from the Hebrew. And it, uh, the first one is sum, S-U-M, and it means to set or to put in place. And the second word is leb, L-E-B, and it means inner man and heart. Literally what this means is, have you set your heart on Job? Not look at Job. It was, he already knew he was looking at Job. He's asking, have you set your heart on Job? The devil had already set his heart. God was not making this happen. It was the devil wanting it. And God, by way of his own system, had to allow it. So what you find here is that it's not God partnering with the devil ever. The devil is not God's partner. This is a fact of because of human choice to allow partnership with the devil, God has to allow the devil free reign. It was humans that partnered with the devil. It was Eve who partnered with the serpent to allow the devil entrance into this life to destroy lives. Not God. So let's not look at this as God was playing a game with Job, putting something on him because he knew Job could handle it business. That's not what happened here. This was God having to allow the devil to ruin a life because there was no redeemer yet. And there was no covenant yet. The Abrahamic covenant hadn't even been formed yet. At least Job didn't know of it. There was no new covenant formed yet. There was no promises. Job had no promises from God. You have all sorts of promises. All the promises of God in him are yes. That the, the new covenant is based on a, new, a better covenant with better promises. Better promises than what? Better than the old covenant promises. Job didn't even have that. So <clears throat> this starts off with the devil being the destroyer. And all throughout this whole thing, Job never knew it. Job never knew that the devil was the one afflicting him. Matter of fact, he looked at God the whole time, blaming it all on God, which anybody without a covenant does. Nobody that's saved, no unsaved person realizes it's the devil destroying their life. So they're questioning God, God, why, why, why God? Just like Job. We who learn the truth, we know how to stand and trust God and resist the devil. And in the book, we go through all the scriptures, which I call a prophetic cry for a savior. And it'll, it'll fascinate you. All the detail where he was actually saying things in the form of, 
a cry for help. And I believe that was partly helpful in Jesus coming. Humans had to call for a savior. Job is a huge call for a savior. Not just a story of a suffering human. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go through a couple anyway. Just, just, give me, just give me 60 seconds. Job 7 verse 20. Have I sinned? Job's wondering, have I sinned? Have I done something wrong? He did believe in God. He just didn't know him. Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? Verse 21, why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? He's almost smarter than some... Christians. It's like if sin's my problem, pardon me and heal me. If sin caused your sickness or your calamity, repent. And if you repent that same day or the very next morning, you should be totally well. So if you want to blame your troubles on sin, why don't you repent? Why don't you get forgiven and then you can be exactly immediately healed and we can glorify God and go on. Verse, uh, chapter nine, verse two, truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? Well, you and I know, because anybody that's righteous before God is delivered and healed and saved and set free. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. He didn't know that scripture. We know that scripture. And we know that we're made righteous through Christ alone. See how this goes? If you'll read Job with this, these glasses on, man, it'll change your life. I got it. some of these scriptures, whether it's Job or whether it's friends, they're saying some wrong things that don't line up with other scripture. So I just write no. Like chapter 9, verse 22, it's, it is all one thing. Therefore, I say he destroys the blameless and the wicked. And I just wrote no. No, God doesn't destroy the blameless. Verse 23, if the scourge plays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. No, 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 sorry, sorry, no, you're wrong. So there's some wrong things said in Job. You got to be aware of that. Some wrong things. They were accurately recorded, but who was saying it was totally wrong. So you got to be able to filter this with all other scripture so that you can get a right handle on this, or you'll come away with a bad picture of God. It's just not right. Verse 32, 932. He is not a man as I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Interesting, isn't it? He's calling out for Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 1. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show show me why you contend with me. Well, first of all, it wasn't God contending, but he is asking the right question. Show me what's going on between us. What's he asking for? He's asking for the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said? When the Spirit comes, he will reveal all things to you. He'll show you things to come. He'll declare everything from the Father and myself to you. The Holy Spirit is the one who explains things to us. He's our teacher. Chapter 10, verse 14, if I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. I wrote, no, no, God will always acquit you through Christ. He will forgive you and cleanse you of unrighteousness. See how this goes? See how Job is in a place of desperation without a savior. So be careful how you read the book. It's ruined a lot of people and they've hidden behind it thinking, well, I guess I'm like Job. God doesn't always answer prayer. And then they, of course, always forget the good part, that Job's calamity only lasted less than a year, and at the end, he had double restored back to him. That means he had double possessions, and he had a doubly better wife, and better kids. 
We can erase that part. Uh, look at chapter 14, Job 14, 1. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. No, no, he, he, didn't, he didn't know King Solomon was going to later write that fear the Lord and keep his commandments for length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. So he was trying to live a righteous life without any promise of God. So he's noble in that regard. He had more faith in God than many Christians do. He held on his heart. He sought God with all his heart for the whole 11 months or the whole less than a year months. He sought the Lord with all his heart, heart, which is more than I can say for a lot of people. And God answered him and God delivered him. So take that away as a lesson as well. If you'll seek the Lord all the way, diligently, he'll answer you. Isn't that exciting? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank God for the Savior. Thank God that his plan finally came to pass. It's what God wanted all along. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is the Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life, and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.